Okay, episode 15 of Just Me with R.R. Campbell. I know that normally we would start this show by reflecting on the fact that we have new music. Sure, we're going to acknowledge that. It's going to evolve over the course of the month. I also know that we've been starting with Relatability Corner now for quite a few episodes in a row. It's been a lot of fun. We will be back with Relatability Corner soon, but right now does not feel like the time to be focused on Relatability Corner, at least the way that we focus on Relatability Corner in this show. It also did not necessarily even feel like the time to be recording this episode. With everything that is going on in our country right now, I even struggled last week with, you know, I record these episodes on Tuesdays, suddenly Thursday rolls around and look at where we are over the course of any period of 48 hours in the last couple of weeks. It is extraordinarily challenging to anticipate what comes next. And again, with me recording this on Tuesday for Thursday release, I have no idea where we are going to be when Thursday rolls around. So what I wanted to do today instead, rather than look forward and try to anticipate or to reflect on the immediate present, what I would like to do is look back and I would like to reflect on the present, but not the immediate present, but the present in a broader sense. Not the day-to-day -day necessarily, but the idea of the present. How are we going to do that, okay? I've been putting some thought into that for a few days now, and it brought me back to this. This is Rhinoceros, as you can see, by Ionesco, or Ionescu, French Romanian, French Romanian playwright, was around, you know, 20th century, I believe actually passed away in the 90s. But I've been thinking a lot about this play for reasons that I think will become apparent, I hope, as we kind of explore what's going on in this play. Some context for this, right? When this play was first performed, when it was first put on, it was in Paris. Uh, Orson Welles was the director, I believe, for it. So yes, that Orson Welles was a big deal. Part of the French avant-garde movement, or so it is stated. But there is a broader historical context in which this play was put on, and it is a broader historical context in which we now, sadly, must find ourselves and have found ourselves facing again, whether we recognize it or not. So what is this play about? Okay, let's do the broadest brush stroke that we can for what happens in this play before we take a look at some scenes in particular, consider them, and then come all the way back around at the end of this, okay? In the play Rhinoceros, over the course of the play, people just start turning into rhinoceroses. Right. Okay, that's it. If it sounds absurd, it is. It is considered part of, as I said, avant-garde or absurdist theater. 
It follows one character, handful of them really, of course, like any play, but one character in particular, Beringer, is our sort of, he has a few breaking down the fourth wall moments where he looks to the audience and speaks to them directly. And so he is therefore, we'll call him our protagonist in this, right? Beringer does not understand why people are turning into rhinoceroses. Neither does anyone else for a time, but slowly, over the course of the show, by the time we get to the end, pretty much everyone has turned into a rhinoceros. All right. Funny, right? Cool. I don't know. Maybe not so funny and cool, and we're going to explain why as we go through these dog-eared pages of mine here in my copy of this. All right? I'm going to read you a scene here, a couple of lines from a scene. This is Act one, scene one, we have a few different people on the page, right? There's this logician, an old gentleman, Beringer, our main character, and Jean. And as Beringer and Jean are hanging out at this cafe, and Jean is just basically kind of berating Beringer for being a layabout, there's this conversation happening in the background simultaneous to Jean and Beringer's exchange. The logician and the old gentleman have been debating syllogisms, being in a very pedantic argument, the logician says this, talking about syllogisms. Here is an example of a syllogism. The cat has four paws. Isidore and Fricot both have four paws. Therefore, Isidore and Fricot are cats. The old gentleman then says, my dog has four paws. And the logician says, then it's a cat. Beringer then reflects, generally, I've barely got the strength to go on living. Okay, what does any of that need to mean to us? There wasn't even a mention of a rhinoceros in that scene. What's going on right now in the world is going to seem exhausting, and it's especially exhausting when it is reduced to extraordinarily pedantic and intellectually disingenuous conversations, okay? Yes, cats have four paws. Dogs also have four paws. That doesn't mean cats are dogs or that dogs are cats. We're gonna leave that one there and progress to another part of this script, which I hope makes this increasingly more elucidating. This is in the same scene, a bit later, and at this point in the scene, the first rhinoceros has appeared, okay? The rhinoceros has come trundling down the main thoroughfare of the town. Everyone saw this rhinoceros go by and went, Egads, a rhinoceros. Okay, and along the way, the rhinoceros tramples someone's cat. The old gentleman, who was previously engaged with the logician, says to the woman whose cat has been killed, What can you do, dear lady? Cats are only mortal. What can you do? There's bad people in every group. Cats are only mortal. It happens. Is that, is that the reaction we should have when a rhinoceros kills another living thing? Is that what we want? 
in the play, they spend an awful lot of time just kind of considering that it happened, right? There is another scene, part of the same scene, a few pages later, where they get into this big debate, okay? They get into a big debate about the rhinoceros, right? Because actually, after the first rhinoceros comes through and kills a cat, another rhinoceros comes through, okay? Everyone goes, oh boy, another rhinoceros. What do they talk about when the rhinoceros comes through, when this second rhinoceros, or maybe it's the first rhinoceros, that's the big debate they're having. What do they talk about? Well, they talk about whether the rhinoceros that came through is the same rhinoceros as before, whether it has one horn, whether it has two horns, what that means about the rhinoceros and possibly where it's from. But no one ever stops to ask whether we should be allowing the rhinoceros to do this in the first place. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe that's where our attention should be. And for us, increasingly is. But, oh, wouldn't you know it, as people start turning more and more into rhinoceroses or revealing themselves to abide by the rhinoceros, it becomes increasingly difficult for everyday people to stand up to the rhinoceroses because they're big and they've got tougher hide and they will mow you down with the backing of all their rhinoceros pals. Another scene here. This closes out Act 1. At long last, after a great deal of intellectual debate on the arrival of the rhinoceros, and I don't know whether the rhinoceros is a problem, and should we really call it a rhinoceros? I mean, we don't even know. Has anyone ever really seen a rhinoceros? We couldn't possibly have rhinoceroses here, right? After all this time, there are a few people including the grocer, who is in the main thoroughfare, as well as a man just listed as proprietor, they agree, finally, to do something about the rhinoceros. They say this, well, it may be logical, implying that, yes, a cat may be run over from time to time by a rhinoceros, but the grocer says this, are we going to stand for our cats being run down under our very eyes by one-horned rhinoceroses or two, whether they're Asiatic or African rhinoceroses? Proprietor. He's absolutely right. We're not standing for our cats being run down by rhinoceroses or anything else. Altogether, slowly but surely, we're not going to stand for it. We're not going to stand for it. Finally, someone stood up and said, sure, we could sit here all day and talk about the origins of the rhinoceros. We could debate the appearance of the rhinoceros, the historical context of the rhinoceros, or we could ask ourselves whether we're just going to let the rhinoceros keep getting away with it. And at long last, someone at least says something. Great. That's what we need. We don't need these rhinoceroses barreling down our streets with the backing of their rhinoceros herd. 
We don't. That takes us into Act 2. In this scene, Berenger is at his place of employment with his supervisor, a handful of others, including the woman who is his romantic interest, or so he believes. We have a character here reading aloud from the newspaper on the following day after these initial rhinoceroses came trolling through town. Papillon, the supervisor, says, quoting the newspaper, Yesterday, just before lunchtime in the church square of our town, a cat was trampled to death by a pachyderm. A few other lines come to pass here, and then another character speaks up and says, I never believe journalists. They're all liars. I don't need them to tell me what to think. I believe what I see with my own eyes. Speaking as a former teacher, I like things to be precise, scientifically valid. I've got a methodical mind. Someone questions him what a methodical mind has to do with any of it. And they go on to debate the nature of the pachyderm. And because the paper said it was a pachyderm, well, I don't know. Do we believe the paper? Do we believe our own eyes? We saw what happened. We were all there. For them, they were standing in the thoroughfare. For other people, maybe they're not standing in the thoroughfare, but you can see with your own eyes what happened. And maybe when it looks like a rhinoceros has trampled a cat, maybe we should just accept that a rhinoceros trampled a cat and move straight to what we're going to do about it. And what do you know? At least for us, people have decided what they're going to do about it. They have taken righteous anger against the rhinoceros and because they have very few means of fighting back against something that is, well, significantly better equipped to mow people down, they've had to resort to the only tactics available because the justice system will not deliver the rhinoceroses the justice that they need to face. We're all busy debating the nature of the rhinoceros as opposed to looking at what the rhinoceros has done and using the power structures in place to rein in the rhinoceros. Later, pages later, we still have characters saying things like, Your rhinoceros is a myth. A myth? Gentlemen, I think it's high time we started to work. Later on the next page, from the supervisor. Firmly. That's quite enough. There's been enough gossip. Rhinoceros or no rhinoceros, work must go on. You're not paid to waste your time arguing about real or imaginary animals. Now, we know the rhinoceros is real. We were there and we saw it. And suddenly, someone with a vested interest in taking advantage of the capital of others, that capital being the labor of others, says, we can't be worried about this. There's work to do. The great irony of the statement from the supervisor is that, yes, yes, my capitalist friend, there is work to do. It is not the work that you think it is. It is a new, more pressing kind of work. And not new, not really. It is the pressing kind of work that marginalized voices, that the non-rhinoceroses among us have been working toward for centuries.
Well, taking aside from rhinoceros today to reflect on something that I saw someone post on Facebook earlier today. There's an individual who is of a generation that seems very fond of admonishing individuals of my generation for things that are beyond our control and that we're very much in their control to do something about for decades now. It's a long post. It's a long post. But the main takeaway was this. All of this is fleeting, right? Everything that we're facing with the rhinoceros is fleeting. It's been worse. This doesn't compare to what it was like back in 1919. This doesn't compare to what it was like in 1968. The best we can hope for is to do the right thing and hope that by the time it is all done, a little progress has been made. This is what they said. And to them I say, what has a little progress gotten us? What did the approach of a little progress get us? In the last 50 years, in the last 100 years, in the last 200 plus years, what did a little progress get us? Some generations might be content with a little progress. Some generations were content pretending the rhinoceros wasn't there. Sometimes maybe they acknowledged the rhinoceros, but said, I don't know, some rhinoceroses just have two horns. What are you going to do? I don't think rhinoceroses should be allowed to have horns. In fact, I'm not particularly sure we should allow rhinoceroses to be in charge of the things we have put them in charge of. How's that for a thought? I don't know. Maybe that's not sufficiently little progress for some people. But we have to tussle with it, and we have to do something. And thank God, some people finally have had the courage to do so. Now, what am I doing? What am I doing is it fair for me to sit here and use some metaphor from 70, 80 years ago to drive this point home? I think so, because let's consider the context in which Ionesco originally wrote this play. It was in response to this idea that as fascism rose in Europe, it increasingly felt as though more and more people were willing to just let the rhinoceros do what it needed to do. And there were increasingly more of them. And people, we didn't even get a chance to get to this scene, but there are people, there's this woman who, her husband becomes a rhinoceros and she's heartbroken and she can't believe it. And everyone says, you would be justified in divorcing the rhinoceros. You do not need to stay with the rhinoceros. And she says, oh, my dear, my sweet, I could never... I suppose the easiest thing to do would to become a rhinoceros myself. A lot of people have been doing the easy thing for a very long time, and I am thankful for the people who are finally doing more than the easy thing. So to anyone who is watching this, to anyone who is listening, I want you to know that you are going to be tempted to do the easy thing. You are going to be asked to do more than you are comfortable with at times. This is the hand we were dealt, okay? And I believe it's important we do not pass this hand with one better card in it to the next generation.
We're old enough now to start planning for that. I know we are. We need to not pass along a hand with one better card and four others that are just like the one that we had. It's time to work with a new hand. It's time to work with a new deck of cards. And if what it's gonna to take to get that new deck of cards is turning the table over and letting the chips fall where they may, then God bless you. God bless us and Godspeed. And I say that as someone who's not a God guy, but you know, what do you want from me? Okay? There's a lot of work to do. It's been going on for a long time, like I said. There's a lot more to come. I hope that next week we can go back to... <laughs> Look at that. Look at that language. Look at that language. Me saying, I hope next week we can go back to. But that's the problem, isn't it? There is no going back to. There's no going back to. I hope that by this time next week, we have a better understanding of self and that we can use that better understanding to ensure we aren't passing along the same shoddy hand we were dealt. I'll leave it at that. Thank you for joining me for episode 15 of Just Me with R.R. Campbell. We'll see you next week, June 11th. You know where to find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter. I am R.R. Campbell. That's the full, the full handle. It's at I am R.R. Campbell. All right. We'll see you there. Do what you can to keep up the good fight. Live unscripted, unedited, and unafraid. And remember, no pasarán. <laughs>